Father God, thank you for um, Jesus Christ, something so tangible, <laughs> a man, <laughs> to come and to lead a sinless life and to die a gruesome, brutal death and to pay for all my sin and for all the sin of the whole world, for any who you've drawn to yourself, who will call on your name, forgiveness. In Jesus' name, thank you for Jesus. Thank you for the Holy Spirit. So that Jesus isn't just one day or some day or that day, but you, God, three in one, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, are now. You're here. We worship you in spirit and truth. You're real. You're filling us, you're speaking to us, you're speaking through us, you're giving us new insights, you're changing our life, even the darkness is as light with you. I love that. There's darkness in our lives, God. Even though you, it, the house here is under ownership of Jesus, there's still darkness. Would you chase the darkness with your light? Would you fill this house, this temple, completely with your Holy Spirit, with the light of your glorious grace. Please, God, we ask, desperately ask, you to move and grow and continue to give us more and more of you. Thank you, in Jesus' name, amen. All right, um, we're doing the journal. You guys read Acts chapter 8 through 14 this week. If you didn't, it's okay. The message might seem a little bit more weird to you because I'm going to reference things that you would have read, but that's one of the reasons we want you to read it. It's all good, but I'm just going to preach from Acts chapter 8 through 14. You're like, that's a long time. I don't have that much time. You're right. It is a, a, a big passage, but um, that's one of the reasons we're asking you guys to read it during the week. So don't worry about going back and reading it all. You start on chapter 14 today. 15 tomorrow, chapter Acts, you can pick up right in the middle, you can read right there, and you're going to be right on track with us. There's a journal in the back, you can pick it up, it has instructions with how to use it, but really what we're doing, how is God speaking to you? Write it down, bring it to that participation time we just had, and that was powerful, eh? Can we just all acknowledge that? That was really powerful. So grateful for that, and um, that's what the journal's for. All right, I'm in Acts chapter 8. If you're there, say, I'm there. All right, Acts chapter 8, and um, it starts with Saul. Everybody know who Saul is? Okay, Saul is also Paul. You're like, well, that's confusing. I know uh, many people need to have a new name, right? It's like, that was my past life. Maybe, Michael, we need to rename you. I don't know. That was Michael's past life. And then there's a new life, right? So it's like, I was Saul, but now I'm Paul. And that's what's happened to every one of us who have been saved in Jesus Christ, who have been baptized, a picture of being dead to Christ and now alive in the Spirit. And every one of us, uh, if we've accepted Christ and have gone that way, is on this journey with Jesus to be a new, completely new. We are new. We need to realize we're a new person. Okay, so a great persecution arose in the church. 
And that's kind of where we all start. So I've titled the message, um, The Power of the Gospel Message. I see in these seven chapters a power that is dynamite, and it's the power of the gospel. Just like last week we saw the power of the Holy Spirit, you're going to see that again, because it builds, right? The Holy Spirit empowers us to preach the gospel. So the power of the Spirit last week, now the power of the gospel this week. You can't have one without the other. You need them both, right? So don't try to have the power of the gospel that I'm preaching today without the power of the Holy Spirit. You can't do it. It's going to be mamby-pamby. It's going to be gross and weak. All right, now, here's how I want to start. I want to start with this thought. This is the thought that God gave me, and here's what it is. The problem we have, the church, me particularly, is that we've emptied the gospel of its power. That's the problem, right? The problem is, it's my problem for sure. You decide if it's your problem or not. But my problem for sure is we've emptied the gospel of its power. It has so much power as it's working. But we've kind of like made it a lot less than it is. We've kind of trimmed it up. We've over-intellectualized it. We've had to prove it. We've had to say, here it is, this is why, and blah, blah, blah. And Okay, I read a book. I'm just going to explain it to you this way. I read a book again this week, and I have another repentance moment. <laughs> because, you know what the problem is? We do things wrong. We do things wrong because we're trying to figure out how to do church. We're trying to figure out how to do it in a way that honors God. We've been told by people growing up, it's like this, it's like this. And so we're like, oh, it's like this. Oh, this person, oh, it's like this. Oh, that seems a little closer. Oh, it's like this. Oh, that seems a little closer. I thank God for harvest and the way that it brought me closer to God. But i got to tell you something. There's some things about that that I'm learning. They needed to go. And you know what? Praise the Lord. There'll be some things, I want to just go on record as saying it, there'll be some things in two years that right now we have and we hold dear to that need to go. And that's okay. That's part of growing, all right? So here, I read this, uh, I'm just going to read it for you. I wrote a little note here in the, the gospel. What are we talking about today? We're talking about the gospel. All right, so here, here just re- let me read this to you. Our current church culture has a high value for the security we feel when we are able to prove that what we have devoted our life to is right. In order to assert our faith, we assume that we must be able to argue a case to a logical conclusion. Does it sound right? Sound like church that you've been to? But the fact is that our need for so much certainty comes from great uncertainty. That's profound. When heaven stops manifesting itself in the church, Christians have to prove somehow that they are reasonable for following Jesus. This is strong. This is strong. I grieved when I read this because this has been me. When the power of the gospel is replaced by arguments, everyone should be concerned. 
When cancer, paralysis, tumors, mental illness leave people's bodies and minds, we do not require an argument. A person experiencing the touch of heaven is proof enough that Jesus is who he says he is. That's good. Where was that 10 years ago when I planted this church? I wouldn't have had ears for it. But now I do, and I hope you do too. And if not, maybe later you will. But when the church insists on having a logical culture, we demand a logical gospel. And therefore, we turn to teachers. This is a book about apostles, prophets, teachers, uh, shepherds and evangelists, pastors and evangelists, and their role in the church. And the problem in the church in America is we idolize teachers. We're like, oh, teachers, they're the best. They're logical. They teach us good things. We've done that. Most teachers today are fixated on the written word. Not a bad thing, but not the best, maybe. Okay? From, from my perspective. They believe that the word of God is the source of life and truth on the earth. What's the source of life and truth? God is. Who wrote the word. And is the word. They believe that the word of God is the source of life and truth on the earth. Their value for the word is much higher than their need for the supernatural. These are the lawyers, scribes, and Pharisees of our day. I don't know if you're raising your hand to that, but I am. Yep, that's the way I've acted, God. That's who I've been, Lord. Forgive me. They wield the sword with the best. The teacher has a deep, driving need to be right and predominantly sees the world in terms of scriptural and non-scriptural. Wow. Because the teacher's focus is on the word, the anointing of the teacher influences the church to focus on the word. Please don't misunderstand me. I think that's a great statement right now. Everybody's like, you're a heretic. Please don't misunderstand me. I'm not trying to devalue Scripture. You know that about me. If I haven't told you to read the Bible a million times, okay, a hundred to a hundred thousand times since you've been here, then you weren't listening. But I want us to understand how unimportant heaven has become because of the dreadful error and disorder. Because of this dreadful error and disorder, sorry. The teacher, teachers as a primary influence in the church have turned our attention to the law. Oh, that hurts so bad. Good, bad, good. It hurts so good to know when you're wrong. When we focus solely on the word, eventually we begin to fight amongst ourselves over the word. Hmm, that sounds familiar. We begin to pull apart the body of Christ because there, because there is a right and a wrong. We think we know it. That wasn't in the book. Each teacher is compelled to be right. As Paul said to the Corinthians, we have many teachers in the body of Christ. 
And when the teachers disagree, and many do, there is division. Leader after leader begins to assert his or her case of doctrine and theology and builds a case to prove his or her to prove his or hers and to disprove others. I've read enough. That's gross. But it's right. Guys, I'm going to preach about the gospel, but I'm not going to preach about it from a heady, from a scripture-only point of view. I'm asking now for the Holy Spirit who speaks the Word, who is the Word, who wrote the Word, to speak in such a way that it will be clear to all of us the gospel. All right, I'm in. The problem is we have emptied the gospel of its power. The gospel is supernatural. The gospel is dynamite, just like the Holy Spirit's dynamite. It doesn't make logical sense. You're like, oh, I got this theological. It doesn't make logical sense. When you try to put God in your logical box and make logical sense of it, yeah, that's the word theology. It doesn't make logical sense. It doesn't make any sense to this world. It didn't make any sense to me until I got saved. And I was like, oh, that's what God's doing. And that was only a fraction of what God was doing. And then it was like more and more and more, and I'm still learning. Why would God make us? That doesn't make logical sense. Why would God give us a will, a choice, knowing we're going to screw it up and sin? Doesn't make logical sense. Why would God put up with our decision to sin? That's not logical for a holy God. Oh, but he's loving. Why would God send Jesus himself to rescue us? That's not logical. Putting on flesh and living among us. Why would God lovingly, patiently, grace-filled, waiting for us to return to him? That's not logical. Especially when he could make us do whatever he wants us to do. If he wanted to. If you chose. The gospel's not logical. We could try to explain it away, but it's not logical. It's supernatural. Now, there's a couple things here that I think need to be explained. One is the gospel, right? The gospel ingredients. Now, you've heard the gospel. You've heard about the gospel and blah, blah, blah. I'm going to give the gospel some ingredients. Um, Quinn had a birthday yesterday. He was nine years old. You could not believe the joy exuding from that little man yesterday. It was, I mean, he has a big grin most times unless he's pouting. But it was unbelievable. Well, he likes corn cakes from famous days. Corn muffins are better than corn cakes, but he'll take corn cakes. So he... He planned the menu. This is a Kimberly thing. My wife is amazing. Hey, what do you want for breakfast? What do you want for lunch? What do you want for dinner? What do you want for your treat? He wanted corn cakes. So I'm in the kitchen yesterday morning, mixing it up with him, right? And I'm thinking about what? Because it's Saturday. 
No, I'm not thinking about football, not one bit. I'm thinking about the message. The message is like a weight to a pastor. I want to speak for God. I don't want to get in the way. And I'm thinking about the message. And I'm thinking about the fact that I have written down already in the outline the gospel ingredients. And I'm thinking people are going to think I'm a heretic because I'm saying these ingredients are important. And they're like, it's just believe. And I'm like, hey, we, what would happen if I took the corn cakes and I, you know, put it in here and I, you know, got the mixing thing out and let Quinn mix it. And he might lick some, so he might not want to eat any. Um, what would happen if I put the, the mix in? That has the good stuff, the sugar, the grains. Uh, oh, yeah. Uh. All right. But then what happened? It's, it's one-third cup of water, one-third cup of milk, and one egg. What happens if I leave something out? Does it taste good? Eh. If you don't take the sugar out, it's probably going to taste somewhat good. But it's not going to be the best. You know what I mean? You got to add all the ingredients and you got to mix it up. Let God bake it in you, right? If you want it to be the best. All right, so that's what we're going for today. Here it is. Three ingredients. I'm just going to give them to you quick. Three ingredients. The problem is we'd emptied ourselves of the gospel, the gospel of its power. So what are the ingredients so what I know what I need to put in? Okay, so first, you got to believe. And everybody's like, duh. That's the whole gospel. Just believe and you will be saved. Didn't our verse last week say that? That was Acts chapter 2. Oh, let me just read it from you from Scripture. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. That's it. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. Romans 10. That's it. Let's go home. Read the rest of the Bible. It all's important, right? Yes, you're saved. Yes, you get to go to heaven. Is that the gospel? That's it? That's done? What about baptism? Whether water or spirit. What about that? Is that commanded? Is that hinted at in the scriptures? Is that expected as part of your gospel walk with God? Good question. It got quiet. I must have said something offensive. Or am I yelling? I'm raising my voice. I'm excited. Here's the deal. First thing's belief, right? Believe. Have faith. In what? In God. What about God? That He's God. That He died for you. That He rose from the dead. That His blood, that's what all that sacrificial system's about. The law is to point you to God. Have faith in God. All right? The thing you might say to yourself is, I need you, God. I need you. Have you ever said to God, I need you, God? How many? If you've said that, raise your hand. I need you, God. All right? That's faith. You believe there's a God that can help you that you can't see, and you need his help now. That's desperation. That's belief. That's faith. Great. Perfect. 
Awesome. Then you have this. Be baptized. Be baptized. Uh, well, if you've read the scriptures, you're like, well, what kind of baptism? <laughs> right? But be baptized. Well, most people grew up in any kind of church are like, be baptized in water. Whether it's sprinkling when you're an infant or whether it's immersion, which we would think is theologically correct. Um, whatever. I'm not going to get on my high horse. Be baptized. What is baptism? It's a picture of you saying, I've died to myself. Boom, out of the water. I'm risen. I'm alive. I'm living and breathing for the first time in my life. You're like, well, I've been living and breathing. No, not like this. There's something new there. And that new, I would say, is a filling of the Holy Spirit, if not the fullness of the Holy Spirit. It's, it's new because you've obeyed Him. You've done something He commanded you to do. We've obeyed Him. There's an ingredient, be baptized. Repent, die to self, be emptied. Have you done that? Like, oh, it's kind of humiliating to get up there as an adult and dipped in water, and it's like, yeah, it, it is kind of humiliating. I'm saying I'm wrong. I'm a sinner. I need to die. And I want to die now before I really die and spend eternity in hell. Yes, I'm, I'm, I'm embarrassed about my sin. But again, most people get baptized because they're saved, so they know the rest of the story. It's like Paul Harvey, right? And here's the rest of the story. Like, they know that there's victory. They know that they're saved. Then there's this third ingredient. Be filled. Be filled. It's a new ingredient. I'm, I've felt the filling of the Lord when I was saved. 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 Use the word saved. I felt the word of God. I felt uh, the filling of God when I believed. Let's just use that word. When I believed. January 15th, 1992. And then I felt it again several times when I either read the word or did something God wanted. And then I felt it again in a very powerful way the day I got baptized. I was 31 years old or so, almost 31. I felt, I felt the power of God and, and a power for victory over sin like I'd never seen before. And then August 2020, right? You guys know the story. I've told it several times. Like I felt a fullness, a filling of the Holy Spirit. And you know, sometimes when I'm in prayer, sometimes when I'm here at church, I feel the filling of God. The presence of God coming in or on me. Is that weird? Is that weird? I, I, I don't know if that's weird or not. I think it's weird to the world. But is it weird to believers? I don't think it should be weird to believers. Okay, so those are the ingredients, gospel ingredients. If you leave out the ingredients, you empty the gospel of its power. You get in the picture? So if you're not believing, you empty the gospel of its power. If you're not baptized, if you're not emptying yourself, dying to yourself, you're emptying the gospel of its power. If you're not full of the Holy Spirit or being filled with the Holy Spirit, you're emptying the gospel of its power. That's pretty clear. 
we want all the ingredients or we're emptying the Bible uh, of uh, God and the gospel of its power. Okay, now, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to end with this. The gospel supernaturally. The gospel supernaturally. Because if you empty the gospel, then the supernatural is gone, and it's just the gospel. The gospel spreads wherever I want it to go, wherever I want it to be, right? The gospel says whatever I want it to say. The gospel breaks whoever's heart I want to break, right? It's not like that. The gospel supernaturally, and I'm going to give you three things, but I want to read this passage first because I think some of you guys are still thinking about the ingredients. So here it is. Acts chapter 8. Saul approved of Stephen's execution. There was great persecution against the church. I felt that even recently. Maybe not to that degree where we had to move or feared for our life, but we definitely have been persecuted in some ways. Now those who were scattered went about doing what? What do you think they did? What does it say they did? Preaching the word. When it says word, what does it mean? Gospel. Because you could be like, well, it means this. Wasn't written yet. I mean, that's the thing. We read this like we had this at the time this was written, right? No. It's going to say, maybe you noticed in Acts 8 through 14, several times, the word of God, the word of God. God spoke, God spoke. That's what it's saying. God kept speaking through people. This, especially the New Testament, which we would declare the gospel, wasn't written yet. So who's speaking? People. Oh, trick question. The Holy Spirit. Through people. Why is that so odd? And why do we think that now we have this that he doesn't speak anymore through people? That's odd to me. That God, I mean, I guess God can choose to do whatever he wants. He could just say, I, I stop speaking now. Wasn't it the Old Testament? For 400 years, God was silent. That sounds miserable. Sometimes you feel like that in, in your life, don't you? You feel like, oh, God isn't talking, and it's miserable. But then other times, you feel like he is talking, don't you? Praise the Lord. Keep going. They preached the word. Philip went down, so we're on to one guy now. So just individualize it. Everybody spread out. Everybody was preaching the word. Now individualize it. Jason went out, right? Rachel went out. Okay, Philip went down to the city of Samaria, and he proclaimed to them Christ, Messiah, Jesus. They knew what that meant. Our day, nobody's going to care if you say Christ or Messiah. They don't know what that means. They're not Israelites. They're not Jews. They don't, they're not thinking about Messiah coming back. But Samaritans and Jews, they would have been like, oh, I get it. Okay? So you've got to be in context. And the crowds, with one accord, paid attention to what was being said by Philip. Then, when they heard him and they saw the signs that he did. So what do we do, teachers of the... Word of God, what do we do? We teach and people hear us. 
We give them a logical gospel. We're like, well, if you go here and then here and then here and then here and here and here and here, it all makes sense. And they're like, I lost you. What about the second part? And saw the signs that he did. What about that part? We are emptying the gospel of its power. Like, well, God doesn't work that way anymore. Who says? God say? Show me in the scripture where God says, I stopped working this way. And I will repent of what I just said. No. We said God stopped working this way. We did. We're the ones that put the logical arguments together and said, well, this is the God of the, in my box, and it makes sense to me, so everybody should think this way about God. We're the people that did that. But there was a man named Simon... I left out a part. So there was much joy in the city. Why? Because demons were cast out. People were getting healed. There were signs and wonders. You think there'd be a little bit of joy in Rochester if that happened? You think people might be like, what? Yeah. I think people could be happy again and get out of this two-year mope and frown and grope and blah, blah. We need revival. We need joy. We need the Holy Spirit. But there was a man named Simon who had previously practiced magic. He's going to tell this little story. In the city and, was ama- and amazed the people of Samaria, saying that he himself was somebody great. I am the stuff. I am great. Right? I'm the man. I'm the man. I'm the man. Right? I mean, that's what they're saying. And he's like, I'm it. They all paid attention to him from the least to the greatest, saying, This man is the power of God that is great. You think that bothers me in the scripture? And I know the Holy Spirit wrote this. It's a big G. Power of a little God, maybe, but not a power of God. I mean, they were literally blaspheming God. They were like, yeah, you're God. You're God's guy. You're like God. Gross. God uses you to do any signs, wonders, or miracles. Don't be that guy. They all paid attention to him. This guy's great. And they paid attention to him because for a long time he had amazed them with his magic. Probably demonic. Just saying. But when they believed, first ingredient of the gospel, when they believed Philip as he preached good news about the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were, what does it say? baptized. We know this to be water baptism because you keep reading, you'll get it. The other baptisms to come. Baptized. Both men and women, even Simon himself, this great guy who amazed everybody, believed and after being baptized, he continued with Philip. Even this guy. And seeing signs and great miracles performed, he was amazed. Ooh, now who's... (laughs) Wow. 
Keep reading. We have two ingredients. We need a third to have the best. Now when the apostles, do you, do you respect the apostles? I mean, would you have respect for an apostle? Yeah, I would. Now the apostles at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God. How did they hear they received them? They believed and they were baptized. Okay, They received the word of God. They sent to them Peter and John, big stuff, who came down and prayed for them, so there's a prayer part, that they might receive the Holy Spirit. For he had not yet fallen on any of them, but they had only been baptized, water baptized, in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then, great diagnosis, Pretty clear we got belief and water baptism, but we're missing the third ingredient. Great diagnosis. What are they going to do about it? Well, I'd already get it. They're going to pray for them. Well, look closer. Then they laid their hands on them while they're praying, and they received the Holy Spirit. So there was a laying on of hands and a prayer. And I'm not trying to formalize this or make it a systematic theology out of it. Let's get it straight. I just repented of that. But I'm saying there's something here, there's some power, there's something going on that says Peter and John can come, they can say, silver and gold have I none, but such as I have, I give to you. Boom! In the name of Jesus Christ, rise and walk! That's power! That's what we saw in chapters 1-7, through seven, right? We are, it's not getting any worse. It's getting better now. They're like, you're going to need this power if you're going to go tell the gospel because we're spreading things here. So I felt like I needed to say that. Now I'm going to go over time. But I felt like I gave you the ingredients, but I, I hadn't convinced you. So I got a little teacher in me still. I felt like I needed to convince you of the power. Ah, gross. All right. So here it is. The three things. The gospel supernaturally. First thing. The gospel supernaturally spreads where God wants it to go. God's the one that allowed the persecution. God's the one that sent uh, Philip down. If you don't believe it, keep reading in Acts 8, and you'll see Philip get sent another place. And the Holy Spirit makes him disappear. <laughs> and he speaks to him, and an angel speaks to him. There's like powerful stuff going on. It's supernatural. The gospel supernaturally, when it's supernatural, it spreads wherever God wants it to go. God will tell you who to talk to next week. Ask him. He'll tell you. You'll tell the right person. Rather than beating up people that aren't ready for the gospel, you'll tell the person that's just waiting for it. That's how it's supposed to go. Be astute in that. Okay, that's chapter 8. I'm not going to read any more of it. You can read it. Number 2. The gospel supernaturally speaks what God wants it to say. It says what God wants it to say. You can just read chapter 9 and the conversion of Paul. There's all the elements in there. He was believing. When do you think he believed in Jesus? When he saw his eyes. When his eyes got burned out by seeing Jesus face to face. Then he was baptized, filled with the Holy Spirit. Then he was baptized in water. In that order. So number two and number three don't always come in the same order. 
just so we're clear. But the ingredients need to get put in in order to bake the cake and have a good corn muffin for Quinn. Right? We clear? If you don't put the right ingredients in, he's going to be like, oh, yuck. And I think that's what the world's doing. The world's going, yuck, to our Christianity because we've emptied the gospel of its power. They're like, I don't need that. You're a bunch of hypocrites. I don't need that. That sounds like legalism. It is legalism. You're right. It sounds like it, it is. It should be grace. It should be love. It should be power in the spirit because of the gospel. Good news. All right. Now, chapter 9, you can read it. Then chapter 10, Cornelius, this gets great. And again, you're going to see all the ingredients. You're going to see belief. You're going to see the baptism of the Spirit. You're going to see baptism in water. You're going to see all three ingredients. Gospel, power, boom, in chapter 10. Because the gospel supernaturally breaks the barriers set up by sin. Peter wasn't going to tell any Gentile about Jesus. And that's sin. There's certain people you wouldn't tell the gospel to. And that's sin. We can repent of that now or later. The gospel supernaturally spreads where God wants it to go, speaks what God wants it to say, and breaks the barriers sin has set up. That's what the gospel does. And you could see it. I mean, I could go again and again and again. You could see it. In chapter 12, you see the cycle again. Number one, number two, number three. In chapter uh, 13, 13, 1 through 4, it spreads. 13, 5 through 7, it speaks. 13, 18, 8 through 12, it breaks the barriers. 13, 13 through 14, it spreads. 13, 15 through 39, it speaks. 13, 40 through 52, it breaks the barriers of sin. It's all there. You could go on. I could go to chapter 14. It does it twice more. You, it's... It's a cycle. And it keeps happening when the gospel's on fire. It spreads mostly because of persecution. Sometimes because we do are obedient without the persecution. It speaks to the right person at the right time on, the, on time, right? And it breaks all the barriers that this world has to offer. Without a logical argument. So what's the solution to the problem? We've emptied the gospel of its power. What's the solution? Ask God to bring this supernatural power back. That's what we need to do. That's what we need to be focused on. Let me ask you, do you believe? Have you confessed Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? It's good to ask. Have you been baptized in water, right? Have you been filled with the Holy Spirit? So if this is true, you have the ingredients of the gospel. The gospel with those ingredients is tasty. It's supernatural good. Go with that power and see dynamite happen this week. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for a strong word. Thank you for your word. Thank you for speaking even through this man. And I pray that something in us will be solution-oriented rather than problem-oriented this week. That we won't empty the gospel of its power, but
but that the gospel will have power because we'll ask you, God, to do what only you can do. You're the igniter of power. Holy Spirit, power this week. Gospel message, power this week. In Jesus' name, in our lives, in the lives of those around us. Amen.